Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's the Euro Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Simon Kier, Anthony Taylor and the medics who worked on Christian Eriksen, the heroes of Euro 2020. A horrible and distressing moment during Denmark's game with Finland. Ericsson thankfully stabilised and responding to treatment following the game's initial suspension. We'll be discussing that, the handling of it from UEFA plus plenty more. On to day three of the tournament, the wait is over England with a score to settle as Croatia, the nemesis in Russia, head to Wembley. But how does Gareth Southgate get all his attacking options into his starting eleven? To answer that and more, we have broadcaster and author Carrie Dunn, a Newcastle United writer for the Newcastle Chronicle, Sean McCormick. I hope you're both well. Carrie, I'll come to you first. And we do have to start, of course, with the incident uh, surrounding Christian Eriksen and as I said at the top there, Simon Kier, his captain, and Anthony Taylor, the referee, along with the medics, absolute heroes. Oh, um, amazing! Um, so I had obviously had big TV on and on the big on the big screen in front of me. I was at the laptop and I was working away, and I kind of glanced up and saw what was happening, and how quickly Simon Kier responded and got him into the recovery position, cleared his airways, and how quickly Anthony Taylor recognised what was going on. It's just. And just amazing. I know it's it's kind of awful, but you kind of expect miracles from medical staff now. We you know, over the past kind of eighteen months, we've seen how you know how brilliant the work is that they do. But to see uh, a player react so calmly and so quickly when a, when a teammate is in such a serious situation was just incredible. Yes, I think I think we all owe him a debt of thanks. Yeah, no, most certainly. And it, it sort of just goes to underpin everything that you want from somebody, an icon of a country, really, I suppose, Sean, being the leader, the captain, dealing so calmly in that situation and obviously also being on hand to support Christian Eriksen's partner when she came down pitch side. Definitely, I'm mean, echo everything Carrie said there. Obviously, watching on the TV yesterday, like everybody else, I, I was really shaken up watching it. You know, a player of Eriksen's stature so fit, something like that to happen to him was, was terrifying, but the way the Danish players reacted needs to be commended. Obviously, Simon Kier, brilliant leadership to get the players to surround him so that the cameras were blocked from the, you know, to try, the effort to try and resuscitate Ericsson. Um, you know, the, the way that Kasper Schmeichel as well was straight over to, to Ericsson's partner, went with Kier to try and console her on the pitch. It was difficult to watch. It, it, I don't think it's something we should have been watching. Um, but, you know, the way they reacted, Anthony Taylor as well, as Carrie mentioned, is his first major tournament game to react so calmly and so decisively and so quickly. He needs a lot of praise for that as well. So I think everybody involved on the pitch yesterday, the word for the fans as well, you know, it, it must have been really distressing watching that in the side of the stadium. But it was, it was a lovely moment, wasn't there, between the Denmark and the Finland fans where they were both chanting his name from either side of the stadium. And it just, I think, as horrible as it was to see, it was lovely to see how football comes together and how the community comes together and all the quick well wishes on social media. Obviously, when the Kaku scored last night, he dedicated his goal to Christian Eriksen. He spoke about being in tears prior to the game. It must have been a difficult situation for, for any any of the games to go ahead last night, particularly the Denmark-Finland game, to restart as well. But yeah, I mean, 
thankfully it seems like he's stabilised in hospital. It, it all seems fairly positive at the minute. Fingers crossed it remains that way because it's not something we want to be seeing on, 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 the, on the global stage and on the football pitch. Yeah, no, definitely. Our, our thoughts certainly with Christian Eriksen and echo everything you said there, Sean, as well. Carrie, it begs the question, what, why did the football continue last night? I really have no idea. Well, obviously, I do have an idea. It's, you know, day day two of the tournament. There's, you know, primetime viewing audiences all over the world. Um, they, they, they basically had to play on. I mean... I was thinking about this last night. Had I been a fan in that stadium, had I paid money to travel there, had I paid for a ticket, how would I feel about it? And I was just thinking, well, surely I would just feel we just saw a man functionally die in front of us. I don't want to watch a football match now. That That's how I would have felt. Um, I thought um, the Danish manager's comments after the match were heartbreaking and um, extremely insightful. So he said that um, they'd been given a couple of options to replay the game. They could either replay it immediately, they could rather restart immediately, or they could play it today, kicking off at 12. And he said um, there wasn't really a choice because we wouldn't have been able to go back to the hotel and have a sleep, we wouldn't have to, to kind of deal with, you know, process everything and be in a state of mind to play tomorrow. So we just had to get it over with. And the, the phrase to get it over with the fact that he's feeling about that about a first match in a major tournament for his team yeah it, it's massively telling they they didn't want to play it was it was the least worst of two terrible options they were given yeah and as you say as well a, a, a tournament obviously being played across the continent but in Copenhagen as well in front of their home support as well uh, yeah not not a great situation but Sean I suppose it also begs the question about the the Belgium Russia game whether that really should have gone ahead and we should have just had had the uh, day's play suspended after the incident but yeah I mean I agree I don't think that game should have went ahead either if you look at particularly the Belgium team and the amount of players who've played with Christian Eriksen. As I mentioned there, Romelu Lukaku was talking about how emotional he was before the game and that was telling in his celebration for his goal. You've got the likes of Jan Vertonghen, Toby Alderweireld, who played with him um, Tottenham and Ajax as well. So for, for those players to, to get themselves up for, for that game last night is is pretty remarkable, to be fair. And I, I, I'm right in thinking at the end of the group stage, there's a couple of the rest days before the last 16 as well. I might yeah. be wrong there, but... Yeah, Surely they put those games in one of those days as well and just kind of rearrange the tournament that way. I mean, look, it's happened. They've played now. The results are, are there for all to see. I know you two found it difficult to watch the demo and game afterwards. And I did watch the second half and it was it was tough to watch. It really was. The demo players were clearly still you know traumatised from what happened in the first half. It was a completely different performance first half and second half, which is understandable. And... You know, in terms of the actual football now, they've got a mountain to climb in the group, which, you know, that, that pales in insignificance to what's happened to their friend and what they've seen on the pitch. But I think that for them to be put in that situation, for the Belgian players to be put in that situation, you know Christian Eriksen so well, is, is really tough. And for me, it shouldn't have happened. No, and also there were another nation playing, another obviously Nordic nation too. And as Sean said, the, the two countries really rallying together through the incident. But also, we should be kind of reflecting and talking about Finland. Shouldn't we? A first major tournament and they've got to win. But carriers, as Sean says, it, it does pale into complete insignificance. I mean, when the, when the goal went in, there was no celebration from them. They, I think, as much as Denmark, those players just wanted to get it out of the way and get it done with. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we you saw kind of all the reaction and they're saying, you know, how are the Denmark players going to cope? They said they wanted to play on. Um, 
presumably they must have also spoken to the Finland players to see how they felt about it. Um, but yes, they seem to have been kind of overlooked in the kind of player response kind of thing. Um, obviously, you know, Lukaku was, as Sean said, was so clear that you know, he, he'd been in tears and wasn't in the right frame of mind to play. And it, obviously he was, he was a completely different match. So yes, the Finland players must must have been you know massively impacted by it. I mean I'm quite I'm quite worried about kind of all these players who were there on the scene because it it was a horrible, horrible thing to witness on the television. Obviously yeah, again, I don't think we should have seen most of these shots, but you know, the fans kind of looking away and crying. The the players who are on the pitch must be massively, massively impacted by it. They must be feeling dreadful today. And I just hope they all get the support that they need to process um, what they saw yesterday. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Well, let's talk about the game that did proceed that came first. Carrie, I'll come back to you in terms of Wales. Obviously, we saw what they did five years ago at Euro 2016, off to a, a draw, but maybe in the end of it, fortunate to get the draw. I think they probably were slightly fortunate. I mean, I thought in the first half they looked pretty good, and I was thinking they might get a, they might nick a win here. Second half, not so much. I thought they were giving the ball away too much. They weren't coping well with set pieces, and I thought that they were fortunate to be one down. Um, and then obviously, yes, there was that uh, late goal that looked like a winner, and then obviously VAR to the rescue, and everyone loves VAR again now. Yeah, no, definitely. I was wondering how many games it would be in until VAR popped up. But we only had to wait two days, Sean. But I suppose absolutely vital for Wales to get something from this game, given the matches they've got Turkey to come in Baku, that we've sort of been saying effectively an away tie as well, before heading to Rome to take on Italy. You look brilliant on the opening night. Definitely. And uh, as, as Carrie says there, the second half, Wales were, were pretty much hanging on towards the end. I think they've got a lot to thank uh, Danny Ward for. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. In the game, made a few brilliant saves, was really commanding in his area. You know, the calm and presence at the back, he, does, he deserves a lot of credit. And you know, before the game, obviously the big calls were the goalkeeper and whether to start Kiefer Moore up front. Kiefer Moore scored the goal, so I think you know they've got both of those calls calls right. It was one of those matches where you felt like they, they, they just didn't need to lose. After an open game, you saw Turkey getting beat. It was it was vital that you know they got something from the game to give them something to build from. That Turkey game on Wednesday is obviously massive with, with, with Italy coming up last for Wales and Italy looks so impressive on the opening night. Um, as, as it's been mentioned a lot, there's going to be a massive Turkish presence in Baku, which which probably go against Wales. But looking at actually actually Turkey's performance, they were they were a real disappointment on, on Friday night. And a lot of people have them down as dark horses. You look at the squad, it's quite deep with talent. A few players who won the French League, for example, were real. But I think there's nothing Wales would have seen in that game that would have would have would have frightened them, and so it's a big chance for them now to go to that game, get the win, and they get them on four points. You know, four points with the format of the best third place is probably going to be enough to get you in the last sixteen. So, huge chance for them, and they're probably going to have to be a bit more dynamic going forward, I think, than they were yesterday. But you know, they've given themselves a platform to build on now, and that that here Wednesday is a big opportunity for them. It feels, doesn't it, Carrie, in terms of that with Wales, with the, the big names they've got, the likes of Bale and Ramsey, that when it is a big match, effectively one-off in terms of their, their game with Turkey, if they can win that, as Sean says, they know they'll they'll pretty much be assured of a place in, in the last 16. Those kind of players usually rise to the fore in, in moments like that. Yeah, I mean, Gareth Bale was slightly anonymous, I thought, for for most of, most of yesterday afternoon. But yeah, I 
the big occasion that that is where you'd ex expect him to step up that's the kind of situation that he thrives in and I think um, Sean raised a really good point about how how well the goalkeeper played once you've had a goalkeeper go through kind of a trial by fire like that that's got to give you the rest of the side so much more confidence when you know you're going to be under the cosh against other sides to know that your goalkeeper is in form and can handle can handle the big occasion yeah, no, most definitely. And obviously, both he and, and Wayne Hennessy not really playing domestic football, Rob Page was saying, obviously, before the game. But yeah, Danny Ward with a, uh, a brilliant role in Wales draw. In terms of Switzerland, Sean, a bit of Newcastle United interest there. And I suppose one of the biggest bits of Newcastle United interest is the player who's no longer a Newcastle player, Kevin Mbabu. Definitely. And, you know, any Newcastle fan watching this will agree he's one of those players who they feel that he's one that got away. A very similar era under Rafa Benitez to Ivan Tony, Adam Armstrong, who obviously had brilliant seasons in the Championship, scoring lots of goals. So it's, it's one that a lot of Newcastle fans regret. He, he left the club not really getting close to the first team. He had, he had a spell in 2015-16 where he had a couple, of, a couple of games in the first team. It wasn't really seen after Rafa Benitez took over from Steve McLaren. He went to young boys in Switzerland, won a couple of league titles. He's now at Wolfsburg. He's going to be playing Champions League football next season. He played yesterday for Switzerland. He's there starting right wing back now. And he had a good game. He had a big chance, actually, in the second half. That could have actually won the game for Switzerland. But he's powerful going forward. He's good defensively. He's improved leaps and bounds since Newcastle fans seen him as a, as a, as a raw young defender back in 2015. So, yeah, he, he, he's been really impressive since he's left Newcastle. He's gone from strength to strength. Hopefully for him, he's going to give himself a big platform in this tournament with a few more good performances where you know people can realise how, how good he has become because he has made a lot of strides in terms of not only his performance level, but his maturity level as well. There was question marks kind of about his attitude. With, you know, a lot of youngsters do have that. Um, you know, with the talented youngsters who, who get fast-tracked into the first team, that, that can happen, but he seems to have matured a lot since he's left Newcastle and Obviously, as well, you've got Fabian Cher in the back there for Switzerland as well, who's a Newcastle player. You kind of saw the best and worst of him yesterday. From the corner, he flicked on, almost scored, forced a good save out of Danny Ward in the first half. And It's a weird one for a defender, but he's kind of better on the ball and going forward than he is defensively. He's a bit he's a bit rash defensively, and then you saw that as well when he gave away a cynical free kick and, you know, the, the instant reaction from Newcastle fans on social media was there's the standard cynical Fabian Cher yellow card half an hour at a major tournament. And it was a familiar sight to see. But again, it, it's good to see a Newcastle player on that stage. And, and it's a Switzerland team that, you know, probably the archetypal last 16 team, but have the potential to maybe go far in this tournament if they can if they can make a couple of good results in the group stage and get a favourable last 16, which they could do if they finish in second place. So, yeah, from a Newcastle perspective, it's going to be, Nice to see Cher on that stage and also nice to see the development while also kind of ruining the fact that he's not a Newcastle player anymore of Kevin and Bobby. We've got plenty to talk about ahead of day three, but before we do, carry, and I suppose even leading into it on Harry Kane, Lukaku getting two goals last night, we saw Italy maybe put down a statement for the tournament on opening night, but Lukaku's probably put down a statement with two goals on the opening game for him for the Golden Boot. Yeah, um, I rather like that. I know that players are always like, we don't really care about individual awards, we care about the team. Nah. They're, no, you do. It's a major about... tournament. Come on. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Harry Kane will be thinking about that. And 
I kind of like that Lukaku has done it like the day before the England play because that has got to be additional motivation. That golden boot, that race is has really begun and Harry Kane needs to be off to a flyer if he wants to be in contention. So, yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, no, definitely. What's your take on it, Sean? Because they are the two favourites for the golden boot, Lukaku and, and Kane. And now, Kane, if he can match that and get England off to a flyer, I'm, I'm letting my imagination take me away here. <laughs> what, 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 what do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a very optimistic England fan in any major tournament, so I'm, I'm backing Harry Kane to score a lot of goals in, the, in this tournament. I mean, realistically, looking at it, obviously the captain's put that marker down last night. You want to hope Harry Kane's going to be really fired up a day on a personal level to match that. But if you look at Belgium's group compared to England's group, I think Belgium have got a bit more of a favourable run there for uh, for Lukaku, who's probably got more chance of scoring goals in the group stage, certainly. Obviously, you've got the two last night against Russia. Finland are probably one of the weakest teams in the tournament. You look at England's group and while you probably back England and expect England to win all three games in, in the group, all three games are, are difficult games, really. Obviously, Croatia, you know the history there, the World Cup semi-final and playing them in the Nations League recently as well. They're not, they're not quite the team they used to be, but they're still full of quality players. That's going to be a really tough game today, I think. Scotland, what, what more needs to be said there? That's going to be a, a massive game for both teams. It's going to be a derby game. It's pretty much going to be kind of their Scotland, Scotland's Cup final. So that's not going to be an easy touch. And then obviously Czech Republic have beaten England in the qualifying campaign. So yes, you know, we back Harry Kane to score a lot of goals. We hope England do well. I'm confident they will do well. But in terms of the goal, I think Lukaku's got a real chance to make a head start and build a head of steam in the tournament, just given by the, the difference level opposition he's going to be facing. Yeah, no, definitely. Let's let's talk about day three then. England getting the their tournament underway, Carrie, and Croatia, the nemesis, whether it be November 2007 at Wembley, whether it be in Russia 2018, they always seem to be a side that when England need a result, they don't always pull one out of the bag. Yeah, it's a very, very tough match as your first as your first match of a tournament. But obviously you've got a home crowd with you know fans being allowed back in. I live not far from Wembley, so I'm expecting it to start getting a little bit rowdy, uh, probably quite shortly actually. So that should be that should be quite interesting. But yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough afternoon. Um, I think also with fans being back allowed back in, I think that's gonna be kind of a bit of a wild card as well because obviously players have played without fans in the stadium for so long now. I think it's kind of been the new normal, and I think that's going to be that's going to play havoc with with some teams' preparation. Now they're not going to know how to deal with some things. Um, and obviously, we saw the statement coming from the England camp last night regarding uh, you know taking the knee and how fans have, have reacted to that. And I think that might also play a part in England's preparation. Yeah, no, definitely. We'll get into that very shortly. Sean, in, in terms of England, Croatia and the histories, you say Nations League, World Cup qualifying, time and time again, it seems as though we always get pitted with Croatia. But there have been the positives as well as negatives. I, I remember the first game I went to, to Wembley to watch England, I think it was September 2009, England ran out 5-1 winners. That'd be a nice repeat today, wouldn't it? Oh, 100%. I, mean, I, think, I think we were expecting a bit much if we think they're going to win 5-1. <laughs> Try, yeah, trying to just create the positivity. Yeah, well, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on board, guy. I'm on board. Um, I, th I think England will win today. I do think England will win today. I think, I think it'll be, it'll be tight. Maybe one at one. Maybe even a two-goal margin will win. But I think it'll be a tough game. I think we'll have to ride some tough periods. And 
you look at the Croatia team, you know, there's no Rakitic anymore, there's no Mandzukic, but they're still full of quality. Modric, the obvious example, but you've got Kovacic, you've got Brozovic, Perisic, players who play for top, top European clubs. Um, so, you know, it's not going to be any easy touch. There is that rivalry there. It, it's it's built up, obviously, from the fact that they, they you know they, they knocked us out of Euro 2008 qualifying that fateful day at Wembley. <laughs> the Wally with the Broly and Steve McLaren and Scott Carson's error and you know, as you say, since then the next World Cup qualifying campaign, England got 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 two of them, the really two real thrashings, and the recent World Cup and the Nations League as well. I was at, I was at Wembley for the the decisive Nations League game where it, it, it was brilliant, really, because it was obviously the double jeopardy where England won, they got through, they, they lost, they were relegated to League B as it was. So, yeah, the, the history's there, and obviously Luka Modric has stoked the flames again of you know his comments about his perceived arrogance of the English media and. I think obviously that's going to be kind of Croatia's motivation as it was for the semi-final in 2018, and you know the, the, the disparaging comments towards its coming home and all all that all that kind of palaver. So they're not going to be short on motivation. I mean, the, the manager's obviously always spoken glowing terms of what England can bring as well, so you'll be well aware of the threat. But equally, England will know what Croatia will bring. As we see, they've got that recent history; they'll know what to expect. And We've got the better quality team. Hopefully, it shows in the pitch today, and fingers crossed they come away with the win. I think getting getting off to a good start with with this team, this young team, it's you know it's, it's exciting. But I think it's important to self get off a good start. And whatever team he goes with today, that he's vindicated that that team was the right way to go. Because if it doesn't, obviously the, the obvious question marks are going to arise straight away. Because you know it is a blessing that England have got so much talent, but at the same time, it can be a curse because. How, how do you pick the best team? <laughs> There's always going to be someone who's going to be unhappy with the amount of talent England have. And I think we're going to touch on what we would pick, pick as our, our starting levels later on in the podcast. But I think that could be a problem for Gareth Southgate unless you're off to a really positive start today. Yeah, no, we, we, for me with Croatia, it just seems to be one of those, if we play them in qualifying or Nations Leagues, games that have something riding on them, but not always too much, we seem to get a good result against them. But when it really matters, decisive qualifiers or in knockout tournaments, for some reason, they seem to be able to get one over on us. I just hope we go out and we go at them. We play as many attacking players as we can and we get that 5-1. But we'll have to wait and see if, they, if that does happen. In terms of more important issues to just sort of talk about, Carrie, England releasing a statement last night regarding mm -hmm. the taking of the knee and effectively asking supporters to respect the players' wishes. I can't believe we've got to this point where the, the England national team have to keep reiterating that they are taking a stance against racism and they are having to ask their fans to respect that. How can this possibly be the situation we find ourselves in? Surely they've explained it clearly enough, enough times. There is no ambiguity in what these players are doing. You cannot be still saying, oh, the players are doing a Marxist action and we're just objecting to their political beliefs. The players have made it very, very clear what they're doing, why they're doing it, and you have to respect that. And even if you're not going to cheer them, you should not be booing them. This is just, I am appalled that we are even still having this conversation, to be honest. Yeah, no, it only really serves the purpose of continuing to, to take the knee, doesn't it, Sean, of actually taking the mark against uh, sort of racism and social injustice? Absolutely. And as, as Carrie says there, Gareth Southgate's made it abundantly clear now. He's been asked about it several occasions. He couldn't be more clearer in his, in his response of why his players are doing it and why he feels that it's important for his players to do it and why they're going to continue to do it and they're going to be defiant no matter what 
people say or what the final reaction is, this isn't going to go away and it's not going to be it's not going to be conducive to England's players if there's going to continue negative reaction from. And it is a minority of fans, but it's it's audible on the telly. And what Gareth Southgate said after one of the friendly games, which was really really pertinent, was that, you know there are, there are a lot of young black players in this England team, and you've got to feel, you've got to, you've got to factor in how a they feel and how they're going to cope with that, and b you know a lot of as Gareth Southgate said, a lot of these of these fans who were, would have been booing. How would they feel if that was their kids getting booed on the biggest stage? This should be their proudest moment. There's going to be a lot of players making their first appearance in a major international tournament. They should look back on this with incredible fondness, and you know if it's going to be tainted in a way, tainted in a way by you know fans booing and taking the knee. I think you know whatever your kind of motivations are behind it by booing, taking the knee, you, you're kind of showing exactly why players are still taking the knee. Let's let you know put your put your beliefs aside and just. You know, even if you do, don't agree with it, don't boo. Don't boo because it's not yeah. going to help at all. No, definitely, definitely. Well, last five minutes then of today's podcast, we're going to very quickly try and pick out our 11 for England's opening game with Croatia. I, I'm, we're not going to get into too deep tactical things, whether it's back three or back four, because we've only got five minutes, so we <laughs> best fly through it. I'm sure we're all in agreement. Jordan Pickford will be the, the goalkeeper. Sean, what would your back four be? Or back three? What are you going with? I would like to go over back four. I've got a feeling he might go over back three just purely because with Harry, Harry Maguire being out in security at centre half. But my back four would be Kyle Walker at right back. You know, it's probably tough on Reese James who had a very good season, but I think Kyle Walker has been brilliant. Just his experience in, in major tournaments, I think that'll really help. Left back, I would personally go for Luke Shaw, but I wouldn't have any problem with Ben Chilwell playing either. Both have fantastic seasons. I don't think. Yeah, I think that one's on a flip of a coin, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. John Stones is obviously a guaranteed centre half, and I would probably I'd probably go Ben White if I'm honest. I think yeah. Cody's better in a back three, and Tyrone Mings is probably the front runner. Obviously, being in the initial the initial 26 man squad ahead of Ben White, but I think his performances in the two friendly games obviously had the incident with the the off the ball kind of flailing arm, um, and I think he looked very shaky against Romania as well. So I think Ben White looked at home on on, on the big stage. It, granted, he's only had a couple of caps now in it. It would be a big call to put him in, but for me, I think he's he's the best choice if you're going to stick in the back four to partner John Stones and centre half. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I, I had Chilwell as a left back, but as you say, he or Shaw. Carrie, would you agree with that? And if so, what would you then do in terms of the midfield? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I really don't know. It's so difficult. I mean, we all sit here and we criticise selections, and then I'm sitting there thinking, I actually don't know what I'd do. There's only I 11 think... players, yeah. <laughs> I've really got no idea. Um, I would probably go with Chilwell, I think. I think I'd also go with Mings over White. Right. But I have a slight fondness for Villa. I don't really know why. And I think <laughs> Mings, um, although he can be defensively slightly dodgy occasionally, I think he's that ball-playing centre-half we were talking about earlier. I think he's pretty good on the ball. So I think I would pick him. But then we come to the midfield and I'm just like, I really do not know what a yeah. place I would pick. Well, I was going to say, for me, it's, it's an issue of who actually misses out. Uh, I have to say, yeah. during the during the two warm-up games, I became infatuated with Jude Bellingham. So I'd love to see him start, albeit I'm not sure if he will. But if this is our team, he can get the nod, probably alongside Declan Rice, I'd say if Henderson's maybe not quite fit. Um, Sean, I'll, I'll give you the hospital pass then. Three in behind Harry Kane. Which oh. three? <laughs> I mean, I mean this, 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 this is going to cause the most kind of 
controversy, I think, and the most outrage from fans. But you, you look at the options we've got; you can't go wrong. You know, whichever two, whichever two wide players are picked behind Harry Kane, they're going to be two quality players. Personally, I would go for Phil Foden. I would go for Jack Grealish with Mason Mount in the hole. But just because I think mean, Jack Grealish has been brilliant in the two friendly games, he's you know he's riding challenges and fighting fouls. That's going to be so important in the major tournament. I, I think he might stay loyal to Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling, which, let's face yeah. it, they've never let England down. They've always been brilliant for England. So, And obviously, that's before you mentioned Jadon Sancho, but Karen Sacco at Saka as well. So the options are, pl- are plentiful. My, my personal preference would be Foden and Grealish. I think they're the two most informed, the two that probably deserve to start a day. But I'm not going to lose any sleep over which two he picks. It's going to be the, whichever two he picks are, are wide to play with Mason Mount behind Harry Kane. It's going to be dangerous. They're going to be very exciting to watch. And let's face it, if it doesn't work today, he's got the options there to change it. So let's be <laughs> let's be positive. Let's not be negative about who he goes for. And you know that's my preference. But it, it, as you say, it's a flip of a coin between five or six players, really, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, those five five sided coins. I mean, he should just get a <laughs> dice. He should just put the initials on a dice, roll them, and see who comes out. I have to say, I, I'd agreed on on Foden, Grealish, and, and Mount as well. But then you think, oh well, where's where's the real sheer pace in the team of someone like Jaden Sancho or Marcus Rashford? Carry quickly before we we round up. What would what would you go with? You in agreement, or would you rip the whole thing up? No, I think I would go with Grealish and Foden. Um, but then having said that, when, when you're naming the, the other players, I think, oh, yeah, they, they would be good too. So, <laughs> yeah, you could literally perm any two, couldn't you? Um, again, as I said, I have a, I have a slight fondness for Villa. Um, I, I would like to think Jack Grealish would get the note. As you say, he's, he's, been, he's been so good in the warm-up games. He plays with no fear, and I think that's going to be kind of what you want in the opening match for major tournament at the National Stadium. So, yeah, I think I would go with Grealish and Foden. But uh, as Sean says, the fact that you've got these other players on the bench to, to, to mix things up, should, should, it, should it be required, is, is quite reassuring as an England fan. Yeah, no, definitely. I won't ask you for predictions. No one ever wins with that. I've already said 5-1, so let's hope that that's good enough. And we do get the job done, but we'll have to wait and see how it does play out. Of course, we'll be back with more tomorrow on Euro Digest here on the Football Digest feed from myself, Guy Clark, Sean McCormick and Carrie Dunn. Thanks for your time and your company here on Football Digest. It's all for now. <laughs>